Hello, and welcome to the Inspiring Capital Podcast. This is the show for the purpose-driven person who isn't afraid to have the difficult conversations about the challenges and opportunities of having a positive impact in their personal lives and at work. There's a lot to talk about on impact and purpose these days, but we feel and hear from our community a need for more honest and pragmatic conversations about the complexities of social and environmental change. In each episode, we'll ask our guests to have the difficult conversations related to the social and environmental impact they're working towards. We'll explore the tensions and struggles around energy conservation, politics at work, wage gap, fast fashion and consumerism, building inclusive and diverse teams, gender dynamics, and much, much more. We'll chat with thoughtful experts from a range of industries, backgrounds, and points of view. Together, we'll have those candid conversations that often seem too messy and controversial to have. In this podcast preview episode, we're with Nell Derek Debevoise, founder and CEO of Inspiring Capital, to give you a taste of the kind of topics we'll be addressing in our first season. I'm Bernadette Hopin, brand and community builder at Inspiring Capital. Plug in and let's dive right into the struggle. Would you like to introduce yourself, Nell? Absolutely. Good morning. It's so fun to be doing this. Uh, so I am Nell Derek Debevoise. I am the founder and CEO of Inspiring Capital, uh, which I started four and a half years ago after 10 years of uh, nonprofit and international development work. Um, so I, I went to business school after that decade and um, am now really excited about all the ways that we are bringing together divergent people and ideas um, to bring business perspectives and wisdom into social environmental change work. Uh, and I love the struggle. So I think um, I'm really excited about these conversations, really getting into some of the challenges related to impact work. That's awesome. Um, so. I would love to hear a little bit more about what is Inspiring Capital from your perspective. I always love when you get to hear the founder of a company describe the company that they started. It's yeah. always a little different from their employees and their um, company website. So. Totally. It's a moving target some days, it seems. Um, so Inspiring Capital is a, a for-profit certified B Corp. And we have, what I've seen is, is a unique model um, that actually blends training and consulting uh, in order to bring business skills to social impact work. And so um, what that looks and feels like is that we are able to kind of attract and find the for-profit and non-profit companies that are making social and environmental change using some version of a business model um, and are ready to really grow that work um, and then we find business people with skills in marketing strategy finance operations who are excited about doing social and environmental impact work and we kind of train them and get them ready and geared up to understand the, the nuances and, and some of the topics we'll explore today um, and then we deploy them to do the consulting work for those social change organizations. Um, so uh, that's kind of the high level overview. In practice, we have um, a bunch of really specific programs that we do for individual professionals and their employers um, to help get folks more plugged into impact and, and thereby more motivated and productive. Awesome. That's, that is a lot, but that's mm -hmm. exciting. And I'm excited to explore some of those things. Um, but before we even get there, you mentioned uh, B Corp, and for our listeners that 
you know, maybe have heard that term or haven't heard that term. Can you quickly explain what a B Corp is? Sure. Um, so I always talk about it like the organic sticker on your apple, mm. right? So it's <laughs> um, it's not a legal status. Uh, we are an LLC and, and file taxes as an S Corp. So that's our legality. Um, but there is an, a third-party nonprofit organization called B uh, Labs. And so they have developed a pretty thorough um certification system about kind of how a company functions. So what suppliers do you work with? What are your employee policies? Um, you know, as well as what what work you're doing in the world that might contribute to social change. Uh, and so if you, if a company is able to pass that certification with a certain number of points, then they are certified as a B Corp. Uh, and so that is what we've done. Um, we certified almost just six months after incorporating in 2013. Um, and so we've, we, uh, we're on the early-ish wave of the B Corp movement. Awesome. And uh, down the line, that's definitely a topic that we'll be exploring more um, on our podcast. So yeah, that's very exciting. <laughs> um, so you're talking about all the amazing social impact work and different companies that Inspiring Capital works with. And uh, when we're living in such a transparent world and working in such a transparent workforce, mm. um, why should companies you know, take a stance about social issues and environmental issues mm. and and should they even be taking that stance? Yeah, I think it's a great question. You know, I think um, the reality is that companies are made up of people, uh, and and people have opinions. You know, right. and so um, you know, and and then obviously there's the angle you could take that that legally in our courts companies are people, mm. right? And so fundamentally, a corporation is a body um, like a human. You know, and and so even if they are conglomerations of many individual human bodies that they, they have I think opinions and perspectives and, and you know we talk about brand but what is that really other than a set of perspectives mm -hmm. uh, and so in the transparent world as you mentioned you know with Twitter and real-time information true or false right it, there it's not to say that everything out there is real um, but I think it's hard if, if you don't control the narrative and come out with a stance on something people will you know deduce that from maybe right. other pieces um, and so you know I, I'm not sure that every shoe company needs to have a stand on on every issue on on the congressional schedule this year um, but I, I do think that it's you have to set a tone and and have certain opinions and then there are issues these days that are not necessarily political opinion but but pretty basic human rights issues. Uh, and so I think it's important for companies to, to stand up when things like, um, you know, racial prejudice is being validated on a big scale. It's really important for a company to stand up and, and counter that. Um, but it's it's a complicated one, right? I yes. mean, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg. You know, maybe that's the most meta struggle in our work is where is that right line of, being a company and respecting your place of, of producing a great product in the world, right, versus being a political actor. Uh, and right. and so I think it's not an easy one. Um, but I, I do think, I guess, bottom line, it, you know, it comes back to being human. And so leaders in particular who are so visible in this transparent world need to recognize that their opinions are, are going to be looked for. Uh, and, and so it is, there is some responsibility there to, to stand up and, and share perspectives. 
Well, that definitely opens a floodgate of other <laughs> questions. Um, but no, it's very interesting. And I think that it's, you know, important to be at least talking about it and starting to talk about it because I, I don't think consumers and employees of um, companies will um, be satisfied with anything other than that right now. Um, so on that note, <laughs> I think um, if you're ready, I'd love to ask you some of these heavy questions that we talked about um, that we'll you know, be diving more into in later podcast episodes, but um, just, just get started. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. So to, to begin, this really aligns with inspiring capital um, because, you know, doing social impact consulting and training, but for a company that doesn't define themselves as maybe directly in the social impact world, how do, how do you define what's enough impact mm -hmm. in your job? Um, should, should someone be satisfied with, you know, 15% of their day being impact driven work versus maybe at a nonprofit? 60% of the day they're getting hands-on experience with, um, you know, with with women or, or diverse staffs or whatever it is that, that makes them feel like they have purpose at work and then, you know, that other 40% is paperwork. So is there a line? Do you think that there needs to be a, a define in yeah. what's impactful work? So how we think about it is really that we're working toward um, a better future where the entire economy is lined up with social and environmental well-being and, you know, really a regenerative economy, not just sustainable, but but proactively regenerative. And so, you know, in that future economy, we need shoemakers and investment bankers as much as we need cancer researchers and, you know, tutors for at-risk youth. And so, you know, I think my aspiration is that we all get to a point where it's not about a sequestered percentage of the day or the week that's dedicated to impact. It's that our whole lives and work align with that better future, right? And so it doesn't mean that you're not just doing accounting for part of the day, right? right? And like <laughs> checking those numbers, like those tasks are still important and, and critical. But, you know, are you thinking about maybe your accounting system and the way that that might produce data that would reveal wage gaps at your company mm. by gender or racial lines, perhaps, right? And, and so I think if we are able to contextualize our work in that kind of larger sense, then it's really exciting because that 40% of paperwork is now not just a necessary evil, it's part of the larger picture. Right. So you talked a little bit about this earlier, but um, is a company taking a stance on a controversial topic, maybe just as controversial as not taking a stance on mm -hmm. a topic? Do you see that today? I think that we don't it's not totally the norm yet for companies to come out on things, right? And so it's not like a vote in the Senate where every senator stands up and says, I or nay or abstains, right? We're not doing the roster of the Fortune 500 and seeing where they stand on certain issues. And so, you know, even uh, around Charlottesville earlier this year when we saw a few companies really stand up early, um, 
there was some great research done by Brunswick Group, um, and they found that people reacted to that really favorably. People were glad to see CEOs, you know, standing up and saying, there's not two sides here, you know, racial bias is wrong. and so, but but again, it's it's not like we then went through the rest of the Fortune 500 to see who hadn't stood up and and kind of throw them under the bus. Um, so I guess companies do have a little bit of a pass, but I think that you know that there was real there were real sales and share data about the companies that did stand up that did well, right? It it was a bonus. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe there's not a huge downside at this point to being quiet, um, but I do think there's an upside for standing out on on the right side of history. Um, And we certainly know that there's a downside for actively being on the wrong side of a controversial debate. Right. Yeah, and that kind of leads me into the next question that I had, which was with more companies um, making statements and, and stances for you know issues that you know we think are important, um, how do you deal with working at a company um, that maybe the C-suite has different views from you or vice versa? How do you deal from you know the lens of a, a founder or CEO um, who's not afraid to take stances, or else you wouldn't be doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, if an employee has radically different beliefs, and if you're talking about it at work, you know what's holding them back from from doing the same. Yeah, you know, I think what needs to be separated, and it's not that it's black and white, but we need to at least try to separate again those kind of fundamental human rights and equity issues from political issues that have different views, right? And so when you're talking about something, um, now this is going to be hard to pick an example, but let's get specific. You know, I think, for example, on um, trade maybe is a good one, right? Where trade barriers and, and tariffs or free trade, open trade is is an issue that we can debate, right? And I think that there are, that there's academic research to support both and, and political theory and philosophy to suggest both things. You know, generally, I think we've moved toward a more open trade world, and uh, that's that's where I tend to fall. But I do think that there are some defensible arguments on the other side, quote unquote, of that issue. Right. So that's very different from, again, the question of racially driven violence, where I think that's a really, you know, problematic human issue that we all can and, and need to be on the same page about. Right. So, um as a founder, I, I don't feel good about, and, and I can't imagine allowing to continue a situation where there was an employee that was supporting racially driven violence, right? right? That would be kind of a deal breaker. Whereas if somebody was in favor of trade tariffs, you know, maybe that just spices up the conversation at, at, at team retreats, <laughs> right? So I, I think that there's, and similarly as an employee, right, or, or if I think about being part of a group or, or working with a group of investors maybe, folks who are, you know, not in favor of gender equity, that's probably just not going to work for me. Right. You know, so I I think there's a, I think there's a difference there in what issue we're talking about. Right. Um, And I also think it's interesting that, you know, if we use trade as an example, that's not as spicy, I would disagree, (laughs) as, um, you know, talking about race and Mm. gender. And while you have um, a perspective that, well, you know, no pun intended, it is black and white Mm -hmm. issue of 
we need to be inclusive. But for, you know, every you, there's, well, hopefully not for every you, mm-hmm. but there are other CEOs that have that other perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you find yourself in, you know, watching the news one day and, and Charlottesville happens and all of a sudden all your employees and colleagues are, you know, taking a stance that for, for you feel is so clear and you see that they have an opposite perspective, mm-hmm. um, where would you go with that as, yeah. as an employee or let's say you're, um, yeah, you're, you find that you are a minority. And I feel like a lot of people did find themselves in, maybe not in this situation, right. but within the past year or two. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's a great point. And I think we do get to live in a little bubble in our B Corp startup team of <laughs> half a dozen women led New York company. And, and so it, you're really right to point out that it's not so simple or comfortable for folks. Um, you know, I think it's not, I, I think, and it's also important to realize that I do have a fundamentally kind of positive view of human nature. And so I think that on a lot of these more simple issues, right, like racially driven violence, where again, unfortunately, there are some exceptions of people who are just sort of okay with that. Um, the vast majority of, of our country, and I would say even our world, is not okay with it hypothetically or conceptually. Right. The problem is when the rubber hits the road around implementation, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's why, that's what we're looking to do in some of these conversations that we're going to be having is really get specific about some of these things because it's all very well and good. You know, again, I think we could get 499 of the Fortune 500 to say I'm opposed to racially driven violence, probably 500. But when we dig down into some of their hiring practices, are they actively looking to get racially diverse and integrated and inclusive workplaces? Right. Which is certainly a far cry from racially driven violence, right? But on the race topic, since we're yeah. there, I think that, that that execution piece is is super important. How are you how are you living up to that concept? And for folks who find themselves in companies, gosh, you know, start small, find an ally or two, right? Who do you see on Twitter that maybe sits next to you or you've seen across the lunch, you know, the, the corporate cafeteria that you have an inkling might agree. Um and and build at least that small community, even if the larger one feels difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and you're right. There's there's so many ways that the this topic um, bleeds into the everyday work um, life that that you have um, when there's not a major controversy happening. Um, but that's you know, we could keep talking about this, but <laughs> this is supposed to be a quick fire. So, so let's move on to some other um, difficult but important topics. So next, I would love to, you know, talk about um, just diversity in the workforce. And I recently had an experience talking with a friend who was saying, uh, I don't understand why this is such a major issue. Just always hire, you know, the best person for the job. I was like, well, it's not always, you know, that simple. It's important that you know, we don't ignore race and just in an, you know, utopian society, the the best person will um, always be seen or given the opportunity to, to be seen. So, so what are your thoughts about, um, you know, why diversity matters on a, on a team in, in talent? Yeah, I, I think you know, of course, you want to hire the best person period, end of story. 
I think what best is, is what we get mm. wrong a lot of times, right? We have a very, um, it, that's a social construct. Like, you know, anybody who's ever hired anyone has looked at a number of resumes and there's the best because they've had exactly this experience. And then there's the best because they've had this role in a totally different industry and would bring different insights. Right. Right. So just there, you can already start to see, like, I would love to meet a hiring manager who has such an easy, straightforward role to fill that there's an obvious best candidate. Hmm. And so I think the problem is that, you know, we have a sort of Ivy League central casting view of what best tends to be, right? What is the best CEO? Well, we know he is... 6'2", generally blonde with kind of chiseled features, right? Like obese people are not seen to be great leaders. Women are not seen as CEOs. Certainly people of color are not, you know, and, and so we have this very socially constructed view of what best is. And mm-hmm. so what's important about diversity is, is we need to recognize that social construct and then dig deeper to get real to what matters, right? And so part of that is skills, 100%, and education and training. Another part is the ability to understand our customer group, right? And if you look at demographics, buyers are female. We live in a majority-minority, or we will very shortly, a majority-minority community, and so buyers are of color, right? And so how would you possibly think that a row of 20 product developers who are all white males would be the best product developers to develop products to sell right. to <laughs> women of color. It's just, you know, so so I think there's like a very pragmatic business angle to it. Um, and then finally, you know, just, just cognitive diversity is what's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that doesn't just map to demographics. It's an anthropology major as well as a chem major, you know. Um, but I think the demography is important in this country because we have such a problematic past. Um, and so the, the economic issues laid over the race mean that you, you have to be looking to some of those demographics to get the cognitive diversity that has been shown to improve performance of teams. Right. Yeah, great. And I'm very much looking forward to exploring that topic also specifically. Yeah, we have some great folks who are expert more than I that'll be guests. So, Um, Another topic that we've been seeing a lot recently, especially in the past month or so, is um, around sexual harassment in the workplace Mm -hmm. and sexual assault. And we saw the hashtag MeToo campaign really blow up on Uh, Facebook and Twitter, um, women across every demographic, every age, um, all over the world were sharing their personal stories of sexual assault and harassment. Um, And it it was interesting. We saw all these very brave women either standing up telling Mm. their stories or supporting um, other women and also men too, sharing their stories and supporting um, other people that were sharing theirs. However, we barely saw anything on LinkedIn, mm. which is a stereotypical, um, you know, business platform, mm. the, the business uh, social media platform. So just what are your what are your thoughts on that? Why, yeah. why people were seeing being so brave and, and sharing their personal um, stories, but, you know, drew that line and generally weren't carrying that over to um to their per, their professional lives. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, I think on one hand, 
you know, there, there are different channels. And so there's a place for different dialogue on those different channels. Um, and a lot of the, you know, I think the Me Too, not that some of those stories didn't happen in a professional setting or in an office, but I do think that generally they were, they were personal experiences. And, and so Facebook is a personal platform, mm-hmm. right? So if the campaign had been specifically around sexual harassment or assault in the workplace, then I think we would have, could be justly shocked that it wasn't on LinkedIn. And I think that there's certainly also an issue of this just is not, we, we don't have, you know, it's, it's one of those conversations that you mentioned in our intro we're looking to have that is not yet um, acceptable or that there is not yet room for in what is frankly still a male dominated workplace, right? So I think whereas Facebook, you know, as the the pinnacle of the social interwebs, right. you know, and, and baby pictures and friend pictures and weddings and jokes and memes and, you know, um, it's great that we are able to have some of those conversations or, or at least to have those reveals happen in that world. Um, but in the buttoned up, you know, sort of corporate context of LinkedIn, it's not it's not yet really okay or welcome. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't, it, it's an interesting one for sure. Right. I, I don't think that it's necessarily a huge tragedy that that, you know, I, I have seen some really good pieces go around LinkedIn, particularly in the, the quickening uh, series of reveals right. of professional, specifically professional incidents. Um so let's see, you know, right. remains to be seen kind of where the LinkedIn community comes out on all of this. And then if they're, if, if we all are having the conversations, we should be quote unquote about the topic on LinkedIn. Right. Um, yeah. And, and just another topic that I think it's so important that it is being talked about. And, and it is always interesting to see how, um, you know, how, how these issues and struggles are being shared online. Mm-hmm. which is a whole other thing. Um, but, you know, this conversation really did seem to start online and mm-hmm. then uh, bleed into in-person. And, and um, I don't know, we're, we're still in the midst of it, so we'll see how everything plays out. So currently, um, Inspiring Capital is going through or finishing up a round of funding. Um, and as you're you know, pitching and talking to investors, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the type of investors that you've been exposed to um, and and how the investing world maybe has some areas for improvement and, and growth. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Fascinating experience, always. Um, so for sure, you know, this is not an institution around for us. It's it's fairly small and, and individual. And so, you know, where do you meet individual investors? Generally through your network. And so I am incredibly blessed to come from a position of real privilege and, and whether it's through, you know, my own Ivy League heritage or, um, you know, social and personal connections of, of folks with cash, um, that is that is lucky, right? Because it's not friends and family. These are professional investors, um, but they are people who I I've gotten to know through my professional and personal networks. Uh, they are white, 
<laughs> they are generally male. We're, we're doing a bit better. I've made a really conscious push. I've probably spoken with twice as many female investors as male um, because it really matters to me to have um, to have women investors involved in our company. I'm a woman entrepreneur and, and a lot of our work is specifically targeting um, female audiences and so that that's really important to me. Um, but I have had to target twice as many women as men because um, their yes rate is lower. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all kinds of reasons there, right? There are lots of reasons for an investor to say no to us as to any startup. Um, but I do think that there is a challenge of, there just aren't as many women out there making angel investments, right? That's um, for a number of reasons, uh, not least of which just it's a it's a clubby world still. And so I think women don't get brought in as early on or often. Um, and then, you know, there's been some fascinating research about risk and gender. So I, I don't want to try to take that on into great depth and speak out of turn. But um, I do think that uh, I would encourage women to think more seriously about putting more money to work as an angel investor, right? Mm -hmm. For for the women out there with with the privilege of, of deep pockets, um, you know, it doesn't take much, right? Some of these are our smaller checks are twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars, and and again, recognizing that that's a large amount of money for the the normal American. Um, there are more millionaires than ever, you know, and, and so that's a that's a doable number for a lot of people. And I think women do tend to skew toward philanthropy as as their change making rather than necessarily for profit uh, business, which I think is is too bad. So we need more women in the angel investing space. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so now I would like to ask you, would you say that you practice what you preach? Mm. I try. Yeah, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do think I try, and I, I think I'm fairly intentional in my life. That matters a lot to me. Mm -hmm. um, I am not perfect. I mean, obviously, right? It's obnoxious to even say that. But um, we had this great circular economy the other night, which is such a great topic, uh, and and really excited to help people understand more about that and learn more myself. Um, but you know, we're plastic consumers in my household, and and we get a lot shipped from Amazon, a lot, yeah. you know, and and it comes in plastic, and it comes in big boxes, and it comes in jet planes and trucks, um, and so you know, could I just walk my own two little feet down to the store and get it? And you know, did that also come on a truck and a jet plane, right? Like there's no perfect way. And so, um, but it's an easy out to say that, well, you know, every, every purchase, every life, every, every experience in this modern day life has some carbon <laughs> attached to it. And right. so I'm, you know, but, um, you know, and, and our company as of now, as of today is all white. Right. And yet I talk the talk about diversity teams and mostly almost entirely female as well, which is great, but also not diverse either. Um, so, so I try, I think that that's all that we all can do. I, I do think that there's, I think it's much more powerful to be cognizant and open about 
the places where you don't practice what you preach maybe and maybe stop preaching as part of it too. Yeah. <laughs> right? Maybe we should all just stop preaching. But <laughs> but I think it's way more powerful to be really honest and frank about the things that you would like to get better about or know more about um, than kind of, you know, letting yourself rest easy by shutting a blind eye. Right. But it's also important to let ourselves off the hook a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're living a purist life, it's hard to do it all. And I think everyone that, you know, is trying to vote with their wallet Mm -hmm. feels this struggle of, okay, I only buy organic beauty products. But, you know, maybe I really love to shop at H&M. And how do you find that balance? And Mm -hmm. this is definitely a topic that I'm excited to explore with this podcast of... um, I guess essentially measuring your own personal impact when it comes to, you know, what you're supporting and um, if you are practicing, you know, what you're preaching, which yeah. I, I like your point of maybe we should just stop preaching. Right. Be more doers. <laughs> practice. So what is a social topic or issue that inspiring capital needs to work on? Yeah. So plenty. I think, um, you know, we, we, past the B-Lab certification with flying colors, right? And and so on a lot of external metrics, I think we're, there's there's no question that we're a, a hyper um, conscious and, and intentional, thoughtful company, socially and environmentally. Um, but, and there are tons of things that I want to keep getting better at. So um, diversity is certainly one of them. You know, I think that we're we're doing a pretty good job of kind of cognitive and, and personality diversity, which is good. Um, but in some more demographic ways, not, you know, we're almost entirely female, um, and, and currently entirely white. Uh, you know, we, we do have some age diversity, which is great. Um, and, uh, and, and trying to, you know, we're, we're in a round of hiring. So hopefully some of the demographics can, can improve, um, to get at that more cognitive diversity, you know, blend of private public sector backgrounds, folks from nonprofit as well as other areas and, and different disciplines and kind of academic trainings is really important to me. Awesome. Um, yeah, those are very important topics and it'd be great to see Inspiring Capital grow in this yeah. direction. So what do you think as a, a recent <laughs> joiner of the team? What, are, what should we be thinking about and working on? Everything is perfect. <laughs> um, I think, well, I, I think it's because we had an event um, last week about the circular economy, but I've been thinking a lot about Inspiring Capital's footprint. Mm-hmm. And um, we're at a wonderful co-op space, but, um, you know, we have less control over, <laughs> because of that, we have less control over recycling here and, you know, when the lights go on and off. Um, we did take a, a small step in the right direction by buying um, uh, Preserve, actually, um, will be a sponsor of our events moving forward, which is a, a great B Corp up in Massachusetts. And all of our events moving forward will not be on paper plates or um, plastic plates or um, actually it is plastic, but um, plastic that we can then wash and and use again moving forward. So those little things. it's all things, recycled plastic, right? It's yes. like hard to recycle plastic that they use to make the plastic. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, very cool company. But um, you know, those little things, uh, looking at inspiring capital through that lens, like mm-hmm. what are the little things that we can do to, um, to make an, to make an impact and, and, and reduce our footprint. So, yeah. so that's what I've been thinking about. The other one that I think about a fair amount is, is a more meta, um, sort of 
you know, we work with philanthropy and nonprofits and foundations and corporate impact. Um, and so I think we need to spend a little more time and push ourselves to think harder about the underlying issues that those forces are trying to impact, right? So, so essentially philanthropy was, has been kind of created and has evolved to solve some of the problems that the people making that money to give away created in the first place. Right. And yeah. so, I mean, when we, if we go back to kind of the robber baron era of the early 20th century, right, Carnegie and Rockefeller, like this is some of the incredibly generous roots of philanthropy without which we wouldn't have national park trails and libraries and truly incredible parts of our country and, and culture today. But we also wouldn't have, you know, or... or they contributed directly to, you know, oil, standard oil was where a lot of that money came from, right? And so what about the deforestation and, and the carbon that that business contributed to before making the money to give away? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, of course, back to the racial equity question, um, that money was made on the back of, in some cases, pretty closely slaves, right? right. And yeah. so... Um, now that money is being used to to reverse or address some of the inequity in our country. Um, But I think it's important to just acknowledge that there is that complexity in the history of of this money and and the philanthropic system. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. (laughs) So how does this capital play into that specifically? Well, I think, you know, that's that's what our training programs are all about, right, is to get this struggle, the the various elements of the struggle that we've been chatting about here that we'll continue to chat through on the podcast with other brilliant folks. Um, But just making sure that people are aware of these struggles and kind of have the language to deal with them themselves on a personal level, you know, deciding whether they're practicing what they preach um, or, or what to preach in the first place, um, but also at their workplaces and in their professional lives, you know, how they can be raising some of those questions, hopefully to, to do better, at, right? But, but at the very least, raising the questions. Well, I'm excited that Inspiring Capital is, you know, working towards that, but also, um, you know, this, I think this podcast, once, you know, we get these great speakers and, and leaders and experts on here to start having these conversations, mm-hmm. um, more so, you know, continue some of the conversations that we started today. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can, you know, help provide some, some of that guidance um, for other people to give them takeaways. And, and I think that is really important to um, have our podcast listeners have tangible takeaways, whether it's resources or things that they they um, that inspire them mm-hmm. and that they want to look up. So on that note, I would love to ask you just a couple questions that um, will have you know direct deliverables or, or more resources for people to Absolutely. to look at. We love the concrete. Yes, <laughs> the takeaways. Um, so as you know, founder CEO. Um, you, I'm sure, are exposed to, to wonderful resources yeah. um, all the time. But I think a, a great question is, what is your favorite book? So yeah. what would you recommend other people explore? So many. Uh, and it depends on the season and the day and <laughs> all of that. But um, so two favorites, a, a nonfiction and a fiction. Um, a nonfiction that I've really loved is Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Uh, just a really, you know, I think we need so much change right now. And there's so much like 
paradigm shift happening. And so he obviously is an unbelievably brilliant visionary who has come up with all sorts of things, you know, from his days in the PayPal mafia and, and then on. And so I think he does a brilliant job of, of debunking some of the more, um, you know, mass startup chatter of the pivot and fail fast and, you know, some of that stuff, which, which gets us more delivery apps, which is kind of nice in my life, but I think not some of the paradigmatic change that we need. And so, um, very, very cool talk in zero to one about that big shift. Um, and then because what better way is there to spend a winter Sunday afternoon than under a blanket with a novel? Um, the, my favorite novel of late is a series of four, actually, the Neapolitan novels by mm. Elena Ferrante. Um, they're a little bit dark in some way, but they're, they're a brilliant, slightly mundane, and so it's a little hard to get started, but persevere through like page 80 of the first book, <laughs> uh, and, and you will be rewarded with this really... Um, just tangible description of relationships and professional and personal life as a woman, class struggle. It's it's this very timely kind of thing. Again, a little bit dark, but but really thought provoking and well written. And there's four. In there are four of them. So you managed to give us five books. Uh, you, you're, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's Thank about you. yeah, yeah, no problem. It's like three thousand pages of reading, but it's we're just starting winter, so you know, exactly. You'll, yeah, you have a long time. <laughs> Um, so now what gets you out of bed in the morning? I, uh, love the idea of being part of a more inspired workforce. It, it really does, um, get me out of bed in the morning to think about helping people find work that they love or find what they love in their current work. Um, I just think there's so much potential, you know, there's no need for us all to be walking around like, uh, frustrated corporate zombies. Um, and, and so, um, the feedback that I get from people, you know, our fellows and our clients about the power of, of linking what we care about in our inspiration with our, our day jobs is just uh, is motivating and so it's a good reason to get up even in the dark at 5.15. <laughs> so what is the first thing that you do when you do get out of bed? So I have gotten back into a little morning ritual that makes all the difference. So I make my little tincture which is lemon, cayenne, pepper, and maple syrup in hot water. I learned that from my mama. Um, and then I have some exercises from my voice coach and I do those, stretch and get the blood flow in a little bit. Um, I have a money mantra that I learned from another coach about wow. kind of career and, and professional aspirations, not just money, but career aspirations. And, uh, and then I meditate for 20 minutes. Wow. So how long does all of that take you? Uh, it depends how quickly I'm moving to squeeze lemon and find the cayenne <laughs> in the dark at 5.15 a.m., but, you know, like 35 minutes. Hmm. That, so that's great. I love hearing that, the, the little, you know, that's not a lot of time compared to the 24 hours in a day and such an investment. In, in yourself. It makes that. such a difference. You can probably tell. If you start looking, you'll be able to tell the days when I haven't done that. <laughs> <laughs> Another challenge. Okay. <laughs> so what is one thing that our audience can do today to live a more impactful life? Yeah, I really am particularly, you know, for those of you listening in New York or one of the other manic busy cities of the world today, get quiet, find those 20 minutes or even if it's like three minutes, don't surf your phone, don't stew about the next thing, you know, shut your eyes and um, 
I do transcendental meditation, which has a little mantra. It's totally not spiritual, not religious, not anything. It's just a nonsensical mantra to, to take your attention off everything else. Um, but another version you can use is um, let go that my acupuncturist has shared. So, you know, as you inhale and exhale, just kind of repeat the words let go. Um, and um, doing that for a few minutes, I think, is so, um, it, it just, it, it gets you back in touch with, with you, right? And and I think impact in the world needs to be about you and what you care about and what you love and, and what better future you want to be part of, right? It's not about the, you know, 17th corollary of the Paris Accord Agreement, right? It's it's about like who you are, what you love and being more true to that um, and not getting wrapped up in needing more stuff or, you know, responding to that email faster or playing politics better at the office. Um, and so I think literally just that silence ideally neurologically 12 minutes is kind of a minimum time and realistically we all need a few minutes to kind of get down into the flow and and come back so I, I do think if you can spare god forbid a 20 minute window um now and then it's it's really powerful well thank you so much for taking the time to talk i love that um you know, we're, we're launching a podcast and we ended on the importance of silence. I think that's really <laughs> a very, so once you hit subscribe, <laughs> then yeah. take your 20 minute meditation. But, um, I'm sure it would be hard to clear your mind because I have so many ideas and I'm so excited to, to cover more. Um, yeah, so on thank that, thank you so much um, for building this. Oh, of course. It's very exciting. Community builder brand. <laughs> very neat. Awesome. Um, but we also really love to hear from you guys. So if there are topics or specific speakers that you think would be great to have on our podcast, please let us know. Um, email me personally, Bernadette at inspiringcapital.ly, and I'll share that with you guys. Um, I'd also like to thank the amazing entrepreneur, Fina Charlson, for editing this podcast for us. She's awesome. She does great work. And um, yeah, so we'll be signing off that this is Bernadette Hopin and Nell from Inspiring Capital. And until next time, stay inspired. Thanks everyone, have a good day.